Hello and welcome to Grosvenor Britain and Ireland's sustainability podcast, Zeroing In, with me, James Manning. And me, Alex Clark. This week, we're zeroing in on waste, and it's frequently a messy, dirty and even smelly business that can have a really big impact on the environment. From plastics to pollution, waste can have a devastating effect on our planet. That's right, Alex. According to the United Nations, about 11.2 billion tonnes of waste is collected worldwide each year. It can affect human health, ecosystems and also produce greenhouse gases. To help us navigate the complex relationship between waste and sustainability, we are joined today by Bruce Brackley, the founder and CEO of First Mile, one of the UK's greenest waste collection providers. They service over 27,000 businesses around the UK, helping them reduce their carbon impact through their recycling, waste and circular economy services. Grosvenor has been working closely with First Mile for about five years to help reduce the environmental impact of our buildings and operations. Welcome, Bruce, and thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, and uh, thanks for inviting me, James and Alex. Great to be on the show. Perfect. So just to kick things off, starting from the absolute basics, why should our staff, occupiers and suppliers care about what happens to their waste? Thanks for the question, Alex. So making the things we need or like to consume, cement, steel, plastic, paper, cardboard, all of these things contribute about a third of the 52 billion tonnes of anthropogenic, and that's human-made greenhouse gases or carbon that we emit each year. If we're really serious about becoming zero carbon or net zero carbon, we really need to start to think about how we make, use and dispose of everything we consume. And nearly everything that we consume today has carbon embedded in it, or it's released when it's manufactured. And I I challenge you to name something that doesn't have some fossil fuels in it, the food we eat, the Zoom calls we live in, and hopefully the offices we soon to be back working, they all contribute to eating up our diminishing carbon budget. And waste is important because it is the final part of our linear chain at the moment where we make things, use it or consume it and dispose of it. And if we're going to get to zero carbon, we need to harvest the material with the embedded carbon in it at the end of its life and start to reuse and recycle that material. So we're not generating more carbon by consuming more things. And that's really the concept of a circular economy. And your staff, customers and suppliers should care about where their waste goes, because what we're trying to do at First Mile is reuse, recycle as much of this as possible So we offset the consumption of virgin resources and fossil fuels. So how much we waste or how much of our waste we waste, as opposed to how much of our waste we recycle or reuse is really a bellwether of how we're progressing to net zero, in my opinion. And just quickly, you mentioned there's carbon emissions, obviously, at the beginning when products are made and created or mined or brought out of the ground. Are there carbon emissions generated as well at the end of that cycle, that linear process that's causing some of those greenhouse gases? At the moment, yes. So if you look at food waste, for example, there's a huge amount of fossil fuels that's used in, in in the growing, processing and transportation of food waste. And if that isn't, if that isn't managed properly at the end of its life, it's dumped and then it generates methane as it decomposes and methane is a potent greenhouse gas 30 times more potent than carbon dioxide and wow. um, so absolutely there are problems you know there are problems there and to put it in context really before i sort of finish and you know trying to i'm trying to get across the way is really important to your customers and suppliers um 
and Grover indeed themselves is that, you know, if you look at something like flexible plastics, which we interact with every day, it's a fantastic product, carrier bags, um, shrink wrap seals for containers. We produce nearly half a million tons of that a year in the UK, and less than 5% is recycled. And that's fundamentally oil that we're digging out of the ground, converting to plastic, using, and then it's just wasted at the end of its life when it could go into the circular economy as feedstock into new materials. I'm trying to sort of instill upon the listeners why it's so important to think about waste and think about recycling in the circular economy. No, I think that's so important. I think you're exactly right. I was shocked about that, the plastic figure. I mean, we are, we're constantly told recycle more. We've, we're, hopefully we've all got recycling bins at home. Why do you think so little is recycled at the moment, particularly around plastic? I think there's a huge amount of confusion. There are many different types. Of it. It's sort of plastic is, is clumped together as a single sort of stream, but there's, there's actually hundreds of different types of polymers. Um, the ones that we're told to recycle, there's six of them. And then there's this other category called other, which includes lots of other things as well. So it's pretty, pretty confusing. And, um, you know, people don't generally know what recycle, what plastic they can recycle, where and how. And also the UK government, we haven't really invested in it. So thermoplastics are really, which is the general plastics they use for packaging, actually really easy to recycle if you get them back in a decent condition that aren't contaminated. But we just haven't invested in that process. So much of it, it's, it seems, comes down to awareness, especially around this thing of, say, complexity around different plastics. Is there any way in which this has been done, say, successfully in the past? Or are there any kind of aspirations as to raising this awareness around, say, thermoplastics being a lot easier to recycle? So there's a fewer steps involved. Yeah, the, the, U, the UK uh, has actually got an amazingly uh, good plastics recycling industry and what we what we did sort of 15 years ago we changed some legislation which meant that um, it was cheaper for everybody and better for industry packaging producers who pay for recycling packaging to export it and what we did is we exported thousands of tons to china hundreds by well, millions of tons to china lots of perfectly good uk plastics recycling businesses stopped operating because they couldn't compete and as a result now China have now banned the imports of western waste and now we're having to catch up again so there's no reason why we can't have a good recycling infrastructure we just sort of set ourselves back a few years but there are there are good things happening so at the moment the government have got out for consultation two pieces of legislation extended producer responsibility which forces packaging producers to pay more for the recycling material so that'll lead to more plastics recycling in particular but other materials and also, we are bringing in a new piece of legislation around consistent collection. So wherever you live in the UK, there's a consistent set of materials that councils have to collect separately under legislation, which will which will change people's mindset. Because, you know, how many times you go to someone's house and you go, well, what's the recycling system here? And how, how well, you know, what can I do? You know, even in London, there's 33 different councils and 33 different systems. And, and out of interest, so what, what sorts of things are First Mile doing to help customers be more sustainable, to recycle more, to be better with their waste? We're fundamentally helping businesses adapt to circular economy and move away from this linear system of make, use and dispose. And we really help, you know, our sort of holy grail. And people think we're mad when we say this is to help people reduce the amount of waste they have because you know we're paid to take it away. But our view is you know, we're fundamentally an environmental organization. There is so much of this damn stuff. We're not going to run out of things to do in the next uh, 10, 20 or 30 years by just getting people to think about their waste a little bit more and reduce the impact of their operations. And we do that through minimization. We're starting to look uh, very carefully at reuse models. 
but also any residual waste, what we're looking at doing is, first of all, recycling that. And if it isn't recyclable, taking it into incineration and, and converting it to energy. So it's really important to look at the waste stream. Um, you know, for example, in the Grosvenor estate where we work, customers there are using 25 different recycling services. Not There isn't a single customer of 25. That would be massively complicated. But across the customer base, we've got 25 different recycling services deployed just in central London, the Grosvenor estate because businesses are really keen and we're bespoking and customizing recycling services for customers to ensure that they maximize the amount of material that they're recovering from their waste streams. And, and on a practical basis, how does that work? So do um, retailers or residents, do they put different types of waste in different colored bags and they collect it on different days? Like what practically, how do you manage those different waste streams, I guess? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it largely depends what it is. So for example, if it's... Um, from a business if we're collecting waste waste electronics or confidential paper that needs to be shredded we will collect that from in the office because it can't be put on the street or in a, in a wheelie bin where somebody might take it so we're collecting that from in an office and we collect that either on a cargo bike or in an electric vehicle that goes back to our depot and then gets sorted the regular day-to-day services which is things from mixed recycling through to paper cardboard recycling coat hangers material that retailers or cafes we do lots of coffee recycling coffee cup recycling we collect those on one truck all the recyclables together we take them back to our facility in west london in park royal and then we separate those bags out the bags are color coded with qr codes on them so we know what's in each bag and we separate those out and then they go for recycling if there's any contamination in those we know every bag has a unique code on it. So we can then go back to the customer and say, unfortunately, you've contaminated this bag, so it's not going to get recycled. And this is what you need to do to improve the quality of your recyclable material. Amazing. I guess as well, I think the challenge can be that when people do throw things away in the bin, it's, it's out of sight, out of mind sometimes. So actually having an understanding of how all this operates, what sorts of things you need to do to make sure that something can be recycled and you aren't having any problems down the line. I think is so valuable. And the key part of that as well is that, you know, we're powering the circular economy by getting our customers to buy back the product. So one thing is just sort of saying, well, we're going, we want to get rid of it in a good way. But what we're actually saying is you can fuel the circular economy by buying things back. So for example, you can buy back paper. We take our waste plastic, flexible plastics, turn it back into bin bags. We're recycling cosmetic packaging for um, Bulldog and various other schemes where we're getting the the, the producers of the waste to buy it back. So it's closing that circular economy and creating demand. I've got a challenging question for you now, Bruce. So as a business, we are really trying to focus on innovation and being innovative as an organization. There's going to be moments where you fail, where you, where you have to pick yourself up and learn from it. Do you have any examples that you can give us that we can share within our business around a time when something didn't go to plan, it didn't go the way you wanted it to, and you learned from it and adapted and, and, and grew as, a, as an individual or as a business? Oh, gosh, I mean, all the time. I mean, it's sort of um, things go wrong all the time. And I think the, the key thing is that people get stressed out about not getting the outcome that they want. Um, I will try and think of examples as we go along. But if you stress about not getting the outcome that you, that you that you're looking for, you're going to be stressed on the journey to get the outcome. And then if you don't get the outcome that you want, you're never going to see the gift within that. So there's always, even if you fail as a gift within that, even if you do something wrong as a gift within that, you know, so we, for example, you know, we, we, we bought the wrong size trucks. We bought the wrong configuration of the vehicles, but rather than going, Oh my God, it's terrible and crying into our milk. We've gone, 
understand that what's the gift within that we've been able to deploy that into another you know into another area at the moment we've just designed a, a electric cargo bike to do some um, we deliver sacks and bins by cargo bike that's easy but collecting by cargo bike is really difficult because you don't have a lot of space and you're collecting lots of waste and we're using it as a way of consolidating the material by bike which is zero emission so that the truck drives less miles we'll have got that wrong i'm not stressed about it we'll have got it wrong but if we try to design the perfect thing we would have still got it wrong so we've basically designed something we think it's going to work it'll it, it won't it'll be like sort of 20 percent right because no one's done it before that'll lead us to the next point which is the gift to understand what went wrong and then we can innovate and, and build on that again no it's a fantastic example the the other thing i guess and this i'm sure you will have had to think creatively and and, and being innovative in how you've dealt with it a lot of people have spoken around how COVID-19 has in many ways had a positive impact on climate change. So fewer people driving, fewer people flying, et cetera. Is that the same in waste? Has it, I mean, you see all the masks that people are wearing, they're all disposable. It has, has it set us back in terms of the waste that we're producing or, or has it actually been of benefit like in other areas of environmental sustainability? I think the, the positive thing for waste is that people have continued to through covid we've kept the environmental momentum. And I think it was quite evident early on in the pandemic that we were going to keep that environmental momentum. And by doing that, it's getting people to say, why do I have this waste? And should I be this wasteful? And, and should I think about it? And also having people spend a lot of time at home, they're doing more home cooking and they're, they're thinking more about the recyclability of their materials. So um, I think that overall is positive. There's some unintended consequences, you know, estimates are there's going to be 55,000 more tons of plastic waste in the form of PPE, which is discarded. And unfortunately, we see that littered on the streets as well. And it's a difficult material to recycle quite often. So there are some consequences of that. I think, you know, there, there's, there's, there's more packaging waste associated with online deliveries than going to the shops because everything has to be packaged up before it's sent. But then there's benefits because we're not driving to the shop. I think the thing we need to be careful about overall with climate change and COVID, yes, there's been a dip in emissions, but it's temporary. And already greenhouse gases are going back to pre-COVID levels. And, you know, what history has shown is over the last 100 years that on average, greenhouse gas emissions go up two to 3% every year, and they are unassailable. And there's been a few blips along the way, and it's normally after a recession. So in the early 90s, we had a blip in 2008, we had a blip, but a bigger blip of the COVID, it always bounces back and we will get it all going back again, unfortunately. So I don't think we can write too much into what we've learned around climate change until 10 years. And we see actually if we've started to arrest this unassailable march of global warming and greenhouse gases. No, I think you're definitely right. You're definitely right. One thing that's become def definitely obvi obvious through these net zero kind of chats we've been having is that it's a thing of so many different avenues to then working towards this same goal for us at least it's the net zero by 2030 and have you found that you've been able to have some kind of influence over say production processes and things things that directly then come down to affect you at the waste level um or is that something you've been exploring at all uh, yeah absolutely i mean we we have a we call it we'd have a good name for it we sort of call it our sort of brand partnership program or brand partnerships and we're increasingly getting brands approaches directly mainly around packaging waste but also products as well where they're saying we want to take more responsibility for this our packaging we want to check if it's recyclable or not and we want to um, put in return systems for our direct consumers to send materials back to us so we can re recycle it 
And the first phase of that is we don't, you know, some organizers just go, yeah, we'll collect it and we'll think about how to recycle it later. We won't work with anyone unless we can find a recycling market today. And that quite often or sometimes means changing the, the packaging and the, and the type of packaging um, so that it's more recyclable at the end of life. And, you know, for example, we're working with a, um, a sunscreen brand and they've got a squeezable sunscreen um, sort of container. And on the top, it's got like a snap on lid that's got a living hinge, you know, these hinges that, that you open and close forever, all made out of one piece of plastic. That's polypropylene. You can only make living hinges out of polypropylene. And the base, they've used um, high density polyethylene, which has got some fishing net content in it. So they can put on the side, you know, it's made out of fishing nets which is sort of a nice story, but actually it's causing a problem down the stream because you've got the lid that's made out of PP and you've got the, the, the bottle that's made out of HDPE. And actually normally you can make bottles out of PP as well really easily. So our recommendation there is nice story about the HDPE. You can't make the lid out of HDPE, it has to be PP. So make the whole thing out of polypropylene, then we can recycle it more more, more effective. And brands are now listening to that because they don't even know what's in their stuff or there's, there's so many different people making their purchasing decisions. And they're starting to go, actually, what we want to be able to do is have a real story, not a greenwash story that we can talk to our customers about. And so we're starting to get a lot of traction there. And businesses are turning to First Mile because, you know, we're seen to, you know, we can talk sense, but also we seem to be emerging as sort of the expert around the sort of packaging design and recyclability of these materials. We've got one final question for you, Bruce. If you could ask people to do one thing to tackle climate change, what would it be? I get asked this question quite a lot, really, and it's sort of a fun question. And I'm sort of uh, going to fudge it slightly, but I guess the the one thing is to act now. You know, as I'm, I've been doing, I've been you know doing environmental stuff for 25 years, and and everybody makes it really complicated. And as a result, we don't do anything. And it isn't complicated. You don't need to buy an electric car. You don't need to rebuild your house and insulate it. I mean, if you can do that and you can afford to do it, great, go for it. But the key thing people need to do is to get on Google and see how they can do more today. And it's all there on Google, you know, search, how can I reduce my carbon footprint today? Everyone can do something every day, lie in bed for a few minutes and think about what you might do today to reduce your carbon impact, boiling less water in the kettle, downloading a movie in standard definition, not high definition, call someone rather than zooming them walk don't drive recycle eat less meat you know the list goes on none of these things you'd probably save money doing them anyway and they're all fantastically easy to do so i guess my recommendation is there's a wonderful thing out there called google use it i love it i love it act now act now on google i think that's a fantastic thing to, to live by to, to to change the climate to to improve all our lives thank you so much bruce it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today and thank you for joining us on the podcast Thanks very much, Alex Jones. Lovely to meet you. And we look forward to putting out our next podcast, which will be on the next of Grosvenor's Green Goals. Um, thanks for listening. <laughs>